Morning. We have been in our Healthy Church series now for the last two weeks. This will be our third week. And the first week we talked about the purpose of the church and the importance of church membership. Last week, Pastor Casey discussed the high value we place on our connect groups. It's where we live life together in the body of Christ. And today, we're going to talk about worship. I wonder what comes to mind when you hear the word worship. Often I think we consider worship as something we do when we sing songs to Christ Sunday morning as the church, as the local body of believers. I mean, when Luke and the worship team are leading us in songs like Mighty Fortress is Our God or Your Great Name or Cornerstone, we get a glimpse of heaven. We get a glimpse of what it will be like when we praise God for all eternity, amen? So I would agree that we are worshiping God when we sing praises to our, his mighty name. But I wonder if worship goes on outside of singing songs to God. I wonder if there's more to worship. Well, I asked Silas, my five-year-old, what it means to worship. And he said, it's going to church, it's singing songs to God, it's when we read and pray. And I said, is there any other time that we are worshiping and he said, no, I can't think of anything else. That's it, Daddy. So I wonder if Silas is right. Do we only worship God when we go to church, when we sing, read, and pray? But maybe a better question is, when aren't we worshiping? When do we stop worshiping? I mean, since we're talking about my son Silas, let's use him for some question and answers. So when Silas sing praises to God in song, is he worshiping? And of course, the answer is yes, right? What about when Silas obeys his mommy? Is he worshiping? And the answer is yes. What about when Silas does his chores? Is he worshiping? What about when he serves his brothers? Is he worshiping? Let's put a twist on this a little bit. What about when Silas fights with his brothers? Is he worshiping? Or what about when he disobeys us as his parents? Is he worshiping? And the question, or the answer to all of these questions is yes. Silas is always worshiping. Whether it's God or something else, Silas is always worshiping someone. The title of this message is If You're Breathing, You Are Worshiping. And this leads to point number one. We are all born worshipers. We are all born worshipers. Every decision we make is an act of worship, either to worship God or something else. I wonder if we realize that 
We're even worshiping right now. Are we taking notes, following in our Bibles, or are we on our phones texting someone, or are we daydreaming about lunch? Are we going to go to Nini's or Doreen's? I'm starting to get a little hungry, but even what we are doing right now, what we are thinking at this moment gives us hints of what we are worshiping. So it's not a matter of if we worship, but who and what we are worshiping. The question is why? Why is humanity born to worship? Why is worship in our DNA from birth? Well, to answer that question, we need to go all the way back. We need to go back to the beginning where God made us. Genesis 1, 27 and 28, to be exact. It says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over everything living that moves on the earth. So we see that God first creates humanity in his image, in his likeness. Then in verse 28 it says, God communicates with Adam and Eve. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. It's interesting because God doesn't talk to the trees. He doesn't talk to the birds. He doesn't talk to the animals and tell them what to do. They instinctively know. But humanity, on the other hand, we're sort of clueless. God has to give us instructions to what to do, how to live, what our purpose is which means God made us dependent on him. God made us to look outside of ourselves to him for help and guidance. We were made not to rely on ourselves, but to trust, to follow, to worship God. That's why Proverbs 28, 26 says, those who trust in themselves are Fools. Or my modern translation that I usually say is if we trust in ourselves and we're just dumb. But going back to the fact that God made Adam and Eve dependent on Him from the beginning, they were created to worship. I mean, think about that. God made Adam and Eve perfect in every respect, they were sinless. And they still needed to depend, trust, worship God, even being perfect. Worship wasn't just something they did. It was who they were. It was their identity as humans. I mean, can you imagine what it must have been like to worship God freely? No struggle with sin. Just perfect, pure, passionate worship for God 24-7. Well, I wish our history stopped here. I wish we could just sit and soak in this perfect relationship that we had with God. No sin. 
But then we get to Genesis 3. Satan enters the scene and he begins to give Adam and Eve different counsel. He begins to give Adam and Eve evil counsel. He tempts Adam and Eve to disobey God, and of course they do, right? But the temptation was much more than an innocent mistake or a slight error or a, just a, a shortcoming. It was a matter of who they would worship. Listen to Genesis 3, 4, and 5. It says this, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan says to Adam and Eve, if you eat this fruit, you will have all knowledge. You will know everything like God. You won't have to wait on God. Depend on God. Worship God any longer because now you will be your own God. Which leads to point number two. We are all born with a worship disorder. We are all born with a worship disorder. Sin twists our worship. Instead of worshiping God because of the fall, we now naturally want to worship ourselves. And this worship of self isn't always a, wow, I really think I'm so awesome. Or that I'm really impressed with myself. It's, it's not that. It's often much more insidious than that. It's a worship that causes us to depend, to focus, to trust, to love ourselves more than we love God. At the core of the fall, at the root of being a sinner, is self-worship. It causes us to look inward instead of upward. It causes us to see life with our wants, our desires, our expectations at the center of all things instead of God. It's the idea that life is about me instead of God because I am my own God. This is why the fall was so devastating. Naturally, now humanity seeks their own glory instead of God's glory. And this twisted self-worship, this worship disorder starts very young. An example would be mommy and little Johnny are at the store. And little Johnny sees that new Lego Batman. I don't know what the Lego Batman thing is. My children are really into this. And it's w one of those things that he saw at a commercial, and he says, Mommy, can we get it? And Mommy says, I told you, little Johnny, we're just here for groceries. And Johnny protests and says, but Mommy, I don't ever get anything. And Mommy says, Johnny, you have every other toy in the world except this one. And little Johnny begins to beg as he says, I don't have that one though, Mommy. And he raises his voice and pleads in desperation to his mommy. And mommy just tells him, be quiet sharply. 
And she she tells him to be quiet. He only gets louder. She becomes embarrassed as she feels everyone in the store is looking at her as she wishes. She could just disappear at that moment. So mommy becomes angry. Says, Johnny, you just wait till we get home, buddy. And little Johnny begins to wail. He begins to scream as he goes into a full-blown temper tantrum. Now I know none of us has ever been in a situation like that with our children, right? Our children are all sweet little angels. But let's try to think about this mommy for a second. And think about why little Johnny is acting this way. Why is he willing to make such a scene? Why is he willing to outright disobey his mommy? Why is he willing to fight for a toy that he already has so many of? I'll tell you why. It's worship. It's a worship disorder. Little Johnny is devoted He's faithful. He's committed to worshiping himself. He wants what he wants because he thinks he is the center of the universe. But let me honestly say, Johnny is no different than all of us. Although we may be more subtle. We may not throw temper tantrums in the store, right? Well, hopefully not. That would be a little weird. But how do we handle ourselves when our spouse lets us down? How do we handle ourselves when our children disobey us? Here's a good one. How do we handle ourselves when the car ahead of us is driving really slow? How do we handle ourselves when we're just having a real bad hair day? How we respond to our situations is a reality of who we are really worshiping. Little Johnny is practicing what the Bible calls idolatry, which leads to point number three. Idolatry is anything we place above God. Idolatry is simply saying it's anything we place above God. Whatever we love, whatever we desire, whatever we serve above God is an idol in our lives. When we think of idolatry, we might think of primitive worship where they used to bow down to golden statues or, or wooden images. But today's idols are more evasive. Idolatry in our day is harder to see, harder to recognize in ourselves and in other people. So the question is, what would be some idols in our day? What are some things that all of us may idolize or put above God? Well, let me just give you a few this morning. Idol number one. The fear of man. Idol number one, the fear of man. And I've discussed this on many occasions, but I think it's such an issue with us, it's important to repeat. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. 
Here we see that we can't fear man and trust God at the same time. Fear of man is the opposite of trusting God. The fear of man also in our modern day goes by many other names like people-pleasing or peer pressure or insecurity or low self-esteem. It's the idea that we put people we focus on people. We fear people. We need people to like us, to give us attention, to give us appreciation, to think highly of us. But the problem is our focus. The problem with our fear, our desire for people, isn't because of our love for God, but it's because of our love to serve self. The people pleaser doesn't love others but uses them, needs them, because of their great love for self. They need others to validate them, to affirm them, to pat them on the back. They live for the recognition of others more than the recognition of God. I wonder how many of us struggle with the sin of people-pleasing. I wonder how many of us are controlled by what other people think about us. Well, the second idol. The second idol is money, riches, and possessions. It's obvious that, that these are idols, and yet I'm afraid that we often don't see the danger in them. I mean, most of us want more money, we want more riches, we want more possessions, and yet Scripture warns us. It tells us to be careful, to be weary when it comes to money and riches in our lives. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. So we see here that money, riches, and possessions are not wrong within themselves, but it's the love. It's the desire for them that makes them so destructive, so disastrous in our lives. It's when we place them above Christ. I wonder if we desire money or possessions more than we desire Christ this morning. Can any of us relate? I know I can. Let me give you an example of possessions that became an idol in my life. I wanted to get a new Bible. Yes, Bibles can become idols. So I started looking into various choices, and I found out that there was something known as high-end Bibles. It's sort of like cars. You know, you have your Ford, your Toyotas, your Hondas, but then you have your high-end cars like your BMWs, your Mercedes, and your Bentleys, right? Well, let's say I found out what is known as the Bentley of Bibles. There was a few companies that make these high-end Bibles. These Bibles aren't genuine leather. They're not made out of that old cowhide like most of our Bibles, but better. They're way better. 
They are made from genuine goatskin leather. Yes, ooh, right? <laughs> With handmade stitching, high-quality paper, and then instead of giving you only one or two ribbons, they give you four. The work in these Bibles are gorgeous. This isn't an idol for me, right? Well, finally, I got one. And for the longest time, I would just pull it out of its box, and I would just look at it. I wouldn't read it. I would just look at it and be in awe. I mean, I enjoyed the luxury craft of the Bible more than the words that were written on the page. I mean, the suppleness of this goat's, then you got to feel it. Just warms the cockles of my heart as I talk to you about it. Well, obviously, I made the Bible. This, I made this Bible an idol in my life. I mean, you know you have a problem when you can't let anyone touch it until they wash their hands, right? So it's easy for us to love the creation more than the creator. That's what our heart does. But the third idol that I want to talk to us about is entertainment. One of Satan's favorite tactics is distraction. Getting believers focused on what I call trivial pursuits instead of what really matters, what really counts in life. I think about the hours people spend on sports or the avid movie goer or the news watcher or the internet browser or the serious shopper or the younger generation, the video gamer. I mean, it's great to have some fun. It's great to be refreshed, to enjoy some competition, to use our creativity. But what often happens is that we end up enjoying, desiring, loving the gifts more than the gift giver. We end up loving the things given by God more than God himself. We end up pursuing sports movies, games, etc., more than we pursue Christ. We end up having more passion for those things than Christ himself. 1 John 2, 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Here we see that we can't love God and the things of this world simultaneously. One will take first place in our hearts. We're made to worship, brothers and sisters. I wonder if you struggle like me. Maybe you don't have a Bible problem, but you could. But what other idols are controlling your heart this morning? 1 John 5.21 in the New Living Translation says this, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. John tells us to flee. Don't put ourselves in situations that will tempt us into idolatry. These all boil down to what is known as self-worship. When we worship idols, we are really worshiping ourselves. At the end of idolatry is a person trying to be God instead of worshiping the one true God. So let me ask us some questions that will help us explore the idols that we have. These questions will give us a starting point on how to see some of these idols in our lives. 
And these questions I got from David Paulson's book, Seeing with New Eyes, which is a great book. So I'd encourage you to write some of these questions down and spend some time with them in prayer when you have your quiet time with the Lord. Here they are. What do you love? What do you hate? What do you fear? What do you want, desire, wish for? Where do you find your hope? What do you think you need? Who do you try to please? Who are your role models? What would bring you the greatest happiness, pleasure, and delight? What do you see as your rights? What do you pray for? What do you think about most often? How do you spend your time? Within these questions, we find out what we are really living for, what's really important to us, what we are desiring, what we are trusting, and ultimately what we are loving. As we examine ourselves, as Paul the Apostle tells us in 1 Corinthians, God will open our eyes to the idols that control us, the idols that turn our hearts away from loving God and loving others. But you might be thinking, okay, I understand idolatry. I understand that everyone worships someone, but how can I begin to worship Christ instead of self? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. That leads to point number four. We learn to worship Christ in the ordinary. We learn to worship Christ in the ordinary. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Paul says, in the ordinary or the mundane moments, in the daily routines, in the habits of life, like eating and drinking, make those mindless moments holy moments, worship-filled moments, profound moments. Most of our lives are lived in the ordinary. Most of our habits are formed in the mundane where we have our routines of life. So we need to actively begin to worship Christ in those times as believers. In the ordinary, when we are eating and drinking, let's fill our minds with praise to our God. In the ordinary, when we're driving to work, may we use that time for prayer. In the ordinary, when we are working around the house, maybe cleaning dishes or, 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 or something like that, let us have a thankful spirit. In the ordinary, when we are hanging around with our spouse, let us pray together. Let us talk about God's word together. In the ordinary, when we are training our children, 
let us point them to Christ, amen? Paul says again, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Oh, how we are called to worship Christ in the ordinary. How we are called to be living sacrifices for Christ, Romans 12, 1. I wonder if we are worshiping Christ in the routines of life. In those moments that seem often pointless, so monotonous, may we fill them with worship to our God. So this leads to my last question on worship. How do we actually worship Christ as the body of Christ, as the local church? But I think before we answer that question, we need to first consider or get a glimpse of the importance of the church. Consider the significance God places on the body of Christ. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Who is Paul saying is so blessed by God here? He's talking about the local church. He's talking about the church specifically at Ephesus, right? Paul says the family of God, those a part of the church, have all spiritual blessings. We were chosen before the world began. We were predestined. We were adopted. And why did God do this? Why did God bless us so? Was it because of our good looks? Was it because we were so good? Was it because we're so special? Was it because we were one of a kind? Was it because we were so great? Of course, the answer is no. That's not why at all. It has nothing to do with us. Verse 4 tells us it says, In love. In love, God chose us. In love, He adopted us. It's because of His love for us. The church is so special. It's so loved by Christ. I wonder if we esteem the church, if the body of Christ is of first importance for us here this morning. I pray that if we are here this morning, that first of all, we know Christ, that we have given our lives to Christ, that we have made him our Lord and Savior by repenting and believing it on the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we all do that. If you don't know how to do that, please, we would love to sit down and talk to you for however long it takes. But secondly, I pray that if we are Christians, that we are involved, that we are plugged into the local church, enthusiastic about the opportunity to be a part of God's family. And this leads to point number five. We worship Christ in the local church by giving our time, talent, and treasure. Point number five says, we worship Christ in the local church by giving our time, our talent, and our treasure. I mean, it should be a joy, a pleasure to give ourselves wholly to Christ, which means that we are busy, we're working, serving in the local church. 
I wonder how much time we give to the body of Christ. I mean, how we spend our time reveals what our priorities are, right? What we truly care about. It shows what we really love. Are we in small groups building relationships with others? Or are we in women's life or men's life? Are we doing one-to-one discipleship, learning the truths of God's word and building relationships? Are we working with the youth or the children's ministry, getting the next generation prepared to honor and glorify the Lord? What about our talents? Are we using our abilities to build up the body of Christ, the local church? Paul compares the church to the human body in 1 Corinthians 12. And he shows us how the body has many parts as the church has various people with different gifts and talents. And what we see is that if the church isn't using their gifts, then the whole church suffers. The local church, in essence, is handicapped. I wonder how we are using our gifts, our talents in the body of Christ in the local church. I mean, the body of Christ, the local church, is in need of those who serve humbly, who will visit others selflessly, who will pray diligently, who will love tirelessly, who will lead others faithfully and fervently. The local church is made up of sinners who have been redeemed by Christ, helping other sinners to see Christ. Amen? Oh, what a blessing. What an exciting opportunity is to be a part of the local church. Amen? What about our treasure? If you noticed, I have said our talent, our time, our treasure. But in reality, it isn't ours at all if we're in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6 says, we were bought with a price. Paul goes on and says, our bodies aren't our own any longer, but it's now God's. So we must recognize that everything we have, everything we are, are now God's, including our treasure. I wonder if we look at our finances as God's. If we use our finances to further the kingdom of God, I wonder if we support and give to the local church. It doesn't have to be this one. It's whatever your home church is. It's not so much about me saying a percentage, but again, because God owns it all. But where is our heart when we give? Scripture clearly says to give joyfully, to give faithfully. And then it really hurts when it says to give our first fruits, to give our best. Giving our best means that we're willing to sacrifice, willing to put our wants second to what God is doing in his church. God doesn't just want to tithe, but all of us. He wants all of me. He wants all of you. He wants our time our talent, and our treasure because it's his anyway. Oh, brothers and sisters, if we focused on our worship, if we gave God our best in the church with our time, talent, and treasure, we could turn Marco Island upside down. I 
pray this year that God will continue to faithfully use us as we faithfully worship him. I pray that we will be aware that we are always worshiping every decision, every action, every thought, every reaction we make is an act of worship. May we start learning to glorify, to worship Christ in the ordinary where our lives are really lived. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. Father, we thank you for your word that dives down deep, encourages, challenges, convicts our hearts, Father. Thank you for your word that reveals who we really are. We could never figure out that we're worshipers unless we had the word of God, if you, unless you told us. So we thank you that your word is so applicable for our lives today, whether it's in our marriage or whether it's in our parenting or whatever we're doing, that we're always worshiping. Most of the problems we face, whether it's in our marriages or in our lives, is, is a worship disorder. Help us to be open to what's really going on as the problems in our lives. Help us to see that we are often glory stealers, stealing from you. May you forgive us. Help us to be worshipers that worship you in truth and spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Just a couple things. Um, those cards that you had, hopefully we can...